0: I have a couple things to say in way of introduction, because this is a topic on a particular study that that really only gives one side of what I think is the important part to understand about the motivation behind why different people get involved in aggressive, not just physique sport, but bodybuilding as an activity, going to a gym. So This was a really, really interesting study, but if you guys have been part of our research reviews, you know... I will sometimes talk about the difference between quantitative versus qualitative research. And this is a qualitative survey study. So quantitative is what we often think of most. You do a study like the COVID vaccines and they say, okay, we, we had 30,000 people in this trial. Here, It was a double-blind placebo-controlled study. Here's what happened, here's what we did, the doses we used, the results, and, and bam, 95% efficacy. Uh, efficacy rates and we had, you know, six people who had these side effects and this person here And, and it all comes down to some very analytical numbers. Quantitative research is more about gathering information and data, especially through surveys and then compiling that information and you end up with a qualitative component where there is a lot of interpretation but researchers try and make it as quantitative as possible. You can encode some of these things, which I'll show you. This is a good study to show that, that they will encode this and, and come up through almost a big data type formulation. Uh, statistics are now done primarily through software. So you're, you're, you're bound to the algorithms there, but it's just like you doing those calculations And and you you still come up with some kind of formulation that that you try to ascribe some some level of validity or predictability. And and so this is a great, great study to show some of that. But at the same time, without giving you a spoiler alert, I want to say that the questions asked and some of the things that we can just have a conversation around are almost more important than what they even discovered. And, and primarily because whenever you do any kind of a study, you start with a hypothesis. You're, you're asking a question and that already presupposes that, that you think you know an outcome. For example, I'm not going to go to the trouble of doing a study on something I don't care about. It, if it's, so, so anybody doing research at all Loves that topic, you know. That's why they're doing it, and they probably not only love that topic, but they're trying to find an answer to something, to to prove something, uh, to either prove something is right or prove something is wrong. Uh, but they also—it's not just that you're trying to expand the field that you're describing, that you're a part of, and that's a big part of of what this particular study was about. So, you know, I, I titled this ahead of time, "The Science of the Bodybuilding Mind," because I really wanted to get into some of the motives, and and uh, there were there were probably four or five studies I looked at, and and I thought I was going to be able to compare and contrast some of the information and make this a little bit broader. But, but it really came down to this being the one that I think would give us the best conversation points. So it was a, it was a study done in Australia, and it was a survey study, I'll just skip ahead here, with uh, about a hundred people. Um, there were actually 101 men, and over a collection of eight gyms, the average age was 31 years old, but it ranged from 18 to 67, average training history of 10 years. And what they really wanted to do is look at different symptoms of dependence. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you on the next couple of slides how they broke this down. But these particular researchers, let me actually back up a slide. You t- take a look at where this was uh, published. The Journal of Behavioral Addiction. So they're looking for different behaviors and and different endeavors that that people engage in to see if there are any negative consequences. And their opening statement is that even something that that should be positive, you're you're seeking a good outcome, like you're going to the gym to work out, to become healthier, maybe, maybe that may be your motive. Uh, But then there is some kind of an addictive nature. It It can take a wrong turn. So an awful lot of this study really explores some pretty bad places people can go, um, but that's why I said it only covers half of the topic, because the other half of the topic is there's a lot of good, obviously, you know, when you're training, you're working out, you're taking care of yourself but i i made my post yesterday describing that we're going to we're going to look at some of the good look at some of the bad and and my biggest goal for you guys is not to necessarily memorize a bunch of data out of this particular study but but again to look at the questions they explored think of your own motives and think of your own behaviors and and think of the things that you really derive benefit and gain and pleasure from it by pursuing any kind of exercise regimen nutrition protocol, just taking care of your health. And then some of the things that may complicate your life, maybe some of the things that that, you know, are, are almost worse for you, because you've, you've come into that, that community. So I'm going to go through some of these things um, that they, they they came to the table with a lot of understanding, as I mentioned, on that last slide, there were over 50 citations from previous studies, which should kind of blow your mind that they were looking at, at that many different studies done just on exercise addictive behavior, and some of the things that create—I uh, wouldn't say just antisocial behavior, but that that really can make make your life uh, worse because you're you're part of this endeavor than than better. So even rewarding b- activities are potentially addictive and maladaptive, as I mentioned. Frequency, obsession, anger, social or occupational disruption are things I looked at. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't, shouldn't rush through these because these are these are really kind of the things I want to talk about. Uh, an exaggerated self sense of importance. You, when when we look at uh, you know the fact that you know we we have to get our workouts even if we're sick or we're tired or two hours of sleep, or even if we have to miss our child's birthday party, or something like, I got to get that workout in. You know, these are kind of some of the things that, that lead us to realize that this is actually an addictive behavior. It's no longer healthy for us. Um, you can also have correlational disorders, even though they looked at quote bodybuilding as working out, uh, obviously tied to that can be complicating issues like, like eating disorders. Uh, dysmorphia obviously is huge you know we we often forget you know what we should look like or what's you know how dangerous can be just to compare ourselves to other people i i had a a client recently who was was physically in my office and and was uh in just a really bad place because she didn't think she was going to be ready in time for a contest and uh i mentioned this before in one of our podcasts but but this this is kind of a bucket list thing for her and and uh, she's about my age, and and she wants to compete for the first time. And, and the 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 goal, doing something kind of extreme, of saying, even though she's worked out all her life, she's super healthy, lean, all that stuff. She's nowhere near where she needs to be. You know, she's she's around twenty or so percent body fat, which in any 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 context is a great condition for a female. You know, as she was sitting there very upset that she was going to have to delay this contest she had committed to. Matter of fact, she had already sent in her entry fees and, you know, it's a couple months down the road, but as I went through the math with her, and I, I said, it's just, we're not going to make it. You, you just, this is not the contest for you. And, and you could see because of some of the things we're going to talk about today She was, in I mean, beyond frustrated. It was just a deep, deep sadness and sense of failure. And, you know, her self-worth was so tied into doing that contest. And and I looked at her and I said, I said, do you realize 99% of women would absolutely kill to look like you look right now? You're comparing yourself to physique sport competitors who are trying to you know, when at certain levels, they've, they've been doing this for decades. You're doing it for fun. It should be for fun anyway. That's what your intent, your first intent was. And now here you are feeling awful about it when you're already 99% better than anybody ever will be. And that's the kind of thing that can turn something that is a rewarding activity into a an addictive and maladaptive behavior. So this is why I said I, I want to talk about some of these things almost as a conversation or, or at least bring them up to you in this, this, this workshop format for you to think more about your relationship with training and bodybuilding as a sport or a personal pursuit instead of just what these, these studies say. So here are some of the questions. I, I mentioned that they, this was a survey study. So they, they recruited these 101 people and they said, you know, here's this study. Here's what we want you to, to you know report back to us. And what they were looking at were, were what kind of bodybuilding dependence. And this is what I mean when I said that they already had a lot of presuppositions. They, they just already know that people, because of all of the research done for the last couple of decades, that most people who train have some form of dependence on training. In other words, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it addictive just because there is dependence, but I would bet not many of you would say, you know, I'm going to try working out this year. And the next year I may play golf. And then next year I'll start hiking. And, and, you know, that was my year that I trained. Once you get into bodybuilding or exercise as a fitness component of your life, you generally don't give that up. It, it becomes part of your lifestyle. And that's why I said there is a good sense to that, that that's a very positive thing to pursue, but if there is true addictive dependence, then you may consider that you've crossed a line that's that at least psychologically you would be better off uncrossing. So as they're they're trying to figure out in these subjects who has social dependency, who has training dependency, and who has mastery dependency, they they ended up compiling these, which is an interesting thing I'll show you in the next couple of slides, into some subsets to say, if, if somebody if somebody ends up in this place of social dependence, they could reverse engineer it and say, because of the, the way they answered the rest of these survey questions, here's, here's how that person got there. And that's important for us to understand, because if we can see some of those steps that we may be on, we can kind of second guess our own intents and motives. So let's talk about each of these for just a second. Uh, matter of fact, I think I may have it on the next slide and then I'll come back or at least maybe another one down. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start here and then I'll backtrack a little bit. So here's what social dependency is. Training comes first. You know, even if I have to take an hour off from work or call in sick. Or, you know, I was supposed to, again, go to my, my child's birthday party or something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reschedule things all around my training because that has to happen. I have socially made training and, and that entire pursuit, if you're a physique sport competitor, don't, don't let that pigeonhole you into just the act of working out because, you know, our, our social dependency can be anything, you know tracking macros meal prep things like that that we just say this has to get done above all else now if it's the actual training dependency it's that the training comes first even if i don't feel like it and so it's my personal cost so i could be sick i could have 2 hours of sleep as i mentioned i you know all these things could happen but because i am dependent on that training i feel that if i miss this workout You know, my my training progressions are going to just all collapse. And all of that progress I've been working for is going to be for nothing. And I'm going to I'm going to miss my next PR or something else. It's training dependency is, is me feeling like I can't stop because there's that benefit that I derive social dependency is I'm willing to even harm my relationships with other people, my job, anything, because it means that much to me. Then mastery, I, sh- I should say mastery is kind of related to training dependency, is that I, I'm so into the sport and, and mastering it, which, again, sounds like a great ethic that I'll, that I'll, I'll go in even if I'm sick and so forth. And, and so that's, that's where I'm really trying to master the sport itself. So there's some interplay with these three things, but uh, they'll, they'll, they'll make a little bit more sense as they divide them out here in, in some of the actual results. Let me get back up here where we were okay so so here are some of the things that 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 actually qualify something any kind of behavior as dependence oriented which again dependence in and of itself is not necessarily all bad but one step beyond that into addictive behavior and and you're heading for a dark place so this is how you know you've taken that one step too far if you do have to miss a workout, you have that felt dependency if it makes you angry, hostile, aggressive and some of these questions were very interesting on how they would would ask them um you know just just kind of on a likert scale you know on a scale of one to five, five being you know you you lost your mind, one being didn't bother me at all, you know, three being neutral you know they they went through these processes. Or, or just perceived stress? Do you feel that general anxiety when you're thinking about, oh my gosh, I may have to miss a workout? Uh, and then, then they also looked at what were your original motives to come into this. And then, just another part of it was to discern a little bit more about each individual. What was your weight training history coming in? Like I said, the average uh, experience level was around 10 years. But you know, compared comparing somebody who's been in the gym for two years versus 40 years. 40 or 50 years, you know, that, that can make a difference too. So I'm going to, I'm going to read this and I apologize for so much text on the slide, but this, this is an important thing that explains why this really matters Uh, because we end up with this thing uh, that again, should be good for us. And uh, it can, it can turn this way. Anger, hostility, and aggression reflect the emotional cognitive and behavioral dimensions of a personality construct often subsumed under the generic term hostility the three dimensions are related in that hostility and anger may create an action of tendency to engage in physical or verbal aggression depending on individual coping styles this is what i would really wanted you to see this action tendency may be outwardly expressed or suppressed so you can be somebody who's just you know yelling at your spouse or something you're you're so uptight about missing this workout that you're taking it on other people or it can be suppressed where you just feel that that inner turmoil And this transactional model discussed by smith et al suggests that manifest aggression towards significant others may elicit antagonist antagonistic responses that may lead to stress high levels of hostility anger and ultimately the perpetuation of aggression in an ongoing feedback cycle so in other words if, if if this sport or the pursuit of training often leads you to feeling badly about yourself, so bad that your depression slash anger slash hostility slash aggression is, is even expressed. I don't mean you're lashing out like you just punched your spouse in the face, uh, but you, you just you even express it like, I am angry. I can't believe I have to miss this workout. Did you know, this is a little side note, the number one predictor of a child having an eating disorder is having a mother who expresses constant dissatisfaction with her own body, not the child But a child having to listen to a parent or a mother say, Oh, look at me. I'm so fat. Oh, I shouldn't eat that. I'm too fat. Or, you know, I I did this and I gained two pounds. I'm a failure. When a child hears that that's anger, that's hostility, that's aggression. Even if it's not directed toward the child, it's expressed. And that leads to, to just that, that negative orbit just all around you that affects other people. So, if you have feelings like that, you have gone too far. You have gone from a healthy dependency on something that's good for you into an addictive, maladaptive behavior. So let's let's see how that creates kind of that loop. Uh, exercise addiction is correlated to restlessness and stress. It can result in a lack of social support because all of those people start saying, gosh, he or she is, you know just that's all they talk about. They're always talking about their stupid workouts or this or that. And, and, and now that you're losing your social support, you know, that increases your stress even more. Uh, You end up with a lot of self-esteem vulnerability, meaning that your self-identity, your self-worth is, is just too tied to, to this side of your life. Uh, it ends up in another feedback loop of increased activity and intensity. You get frustrated, so you think more, 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 more is the answer. Um, there's This is a little bit of a, a side thing, but for some of the motives, it also gives you a distortion of gender display importance. You know, the guys who think they have to go in the gym because, you know, to be big and strong and grunt and be loud and just – you know, be the biggest guy in a tank top gives them that alpha male dominance, you know, that is pretty skewed, you know, that anthropologically may have a facet in our roles as homo sapiens, but it's not everything. But you, you all know people like this, to them, it is everything. And then on the female side, sometimes they, they may encounter the same thing. I, I know females who, who fall into some of those roles as well. But you know, sometimes it's, it's on the other side of I, I need to be lean, smallest waist, I need to look a certain way so I'm attractive. Um, you know, all, it, can, it can play either way, but there are gender specificity roles there that are, are pretty, pretty well documented. And then that becomes part of our social dominance identity. I have to be the prettiest one. I have to be the leanest one. I have to have the smallest waist or the best glutes or you know, on the guys, they got to look a certain way. So all of this feeds into more aggression, more hostility, more anxiety, and less happiness with the thing you're pursuing to try and bring you greater happiness. So let me uh, let me skip ahead here and and I wanna I wanna show you some of the scales that they were looking at. I, I did not get too heavy in this stuff because I, I didn't want to just throw too much at you. But when you when they ask the question, just you know. First of all, some of the components of this questionnaire are well-documented tools. They're, they're, they're commonly used in research. So there are certain like perceived stress scales that exist. They didn't have to recreate the wheel. And, and matter of fact, in research, that gives it a lot more validity because now you can say, well, in this study, they use this type of scale. And over here, they use the same one. And now you have some comparison even between studies and in, in, you know, frankly, even between disciplines at times. So, so perceived stress scale, what they're really looking at is the degree of reported life unpredictability and overload. If, if, if on these questions, if you've ever taken a question like a personality test and you answer all these questions and it tells you, oh, you're an intuitive blah, 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 or you're a type A or you're a, um, you know, this or that. There are so many out there. Uh, you know, they're, they're coding these particular questions, your answer a, into a, a framed data stream analysis that then they can say you know this is what that means and you know this is an obvious one but perceived stress is if you're answering questions that that show that you don't see a lot of consistency in your life you don't feel there's a lot of predictability you don't you don't sense there's control there and matter of fact it makes you feel overwhelmed then that's that's real stress that's physical stress that's going to show up in hypertension that's going to show up in psychological, as well as physiological manifestations. So uh, one of the things that they looked at, which which I really, really liked the way they did this, when they were trying to discern motives, of course they had all these questions and they were trying to, to look at, you know, basically 21 different types of motivations. And some of them, as they were doing their analytics, really didn't have that much of a correlation they couldn't connect dots very clearly so they literally just threw those out which I like instead of trying to say well this may fit here and this may mean this they just said if we can't come up with a high degree of certainty then we're just going to say it it just whether our questionnaire wasn't perfect or whether these people for some reason their answers were just kind of outliers we're not going to look at these things so out of six of the 21 motivations I'm going to talk about next, you know, six of them they kind of threw out, and then they really ended up looking at, at three main ones to say these were the three that gave us the highest degree of certainty that we could show to these types of, of dependency, social dependency, training dependency, and, and mastery dependency. So again, they had this five point scale, they, they asked these questions such as, are you training you know, to increase self-confidence? Are you training to build muscle? Are you training to have better health benefits? All of these are incredibly valid reasons and, and we, would, we would all you know, have certain ones, but if you're saying on a, on a scale of one to five, how important is this to you? How much of a motivation is this to you? They were able to see out of these 21 motivations, just like a personality test, you know, which ones really do matter to you most. Um, let me skip over here. So I, I'm not going to go too far into these, except my, your guys' faces and mine are covering up the, the one thing. Okay, I can move it here. Um, when you look at de- just dependence in general, so there's three different types of dependence I was talking about, social dependency, training dependency, mastery dependency, Those are just categorized generally as, in this particular framework, bodybuilding dependence. And they were able to show that all of these people, depending on how they answered these questions, whether they were kind of funneled into a a stream of information that led the researchers to say that they really show the characteristics of being socially dependent. They really have to get in the gym all the time. Uh, and it's harming their social lives. They're, they're willing to, to disrupt relationships to get in there or training dependency for those reasons, as I mentioned, mastery, et cetera. Look over there at the alpha coefficient, that, that far right. If you could, maybe you guys are looking at your phones, you can't see this small detail, but they, they had a, a coefficient rating of all of them from, from 0.75, 0.76 and 0.79. And that shows an incredibly high degree of reliability. So the way they constructed the questionnaire, at least looking at the thing that they wanted to understand the most, they kind of nailed because anything over 0.7 is almost seen as, you know, there's absolutely correlation there. You get up to 0.8 and these, these are really close to 0.8, then, you know, you're, you're almost certain that, that the questions you're asking are giving you the answers that are valid and reliable. And then, then as they go into looking at you know, what were those people's motives or what were the three biggest out of the 21 motives that we questioned, here, this, is, this is what I think is, is really kind of interesting uh, because I'm not sure I, I would have answered this way. You know, out of all of the, the ways you could answer you know, 21 different levels of, of discernment, the top three were personal challenge, which, which I get that one. A lot of people say, yes, I am pursuing bodybuilding. I'm training, I'm exercising because I want the challenge. It's yeah. I I would say that, you know, that could have even been part of mine. Um, You know, the fact that when I left high school sport behind, I had always trained for sports. And then all of a sudden I was in the military and then in college and I didn't have necessarily any team sport to be involved in, but I could still train. I could still do something as a personal challenge. I still wanted to get stronger. I still wanted to to have some kind of performative aspect to my physical life. Um, The one I didn't quite get, it is uh, mood control, but that's the third one. Let me me, me go with physique anxiety. Physique anxiety, I I get that as well. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't look that great. I need to go work out. Uh, That's kind of obvious. The third one, though, mood control. Uh, I don't think I've ever gone to the gym because I think, you know, I'm kind of depressed. I think I should work out because that'll give me more oxygen to my brain, blood flow. Maybe I'll feel better about myself. Um, You know, maybe some people have anxiety and they think I need to go work out my frustrations. I need to go, you know, hit the bag, do something. But, you know, this out of 21 possible motives, this ended up in, in the third place. So obviously some people do it for that reason um, look at perceived stress. Those who engage in bodybuilding, the alpha coefficient was 0. 0.88. That's about as high as it gets. Meaning that that many people in the study, 101 people, they were showing that, yeah, perceived anxiety and stress is a big part of this game. And, and I think a lot of you right now, are either going to be saying, "Duh, yeah, I feel that all the time about my training, and I'm always trying to, you know, get stronger, do well, win my next show, lose weight, something like that." But again, I have to ask, can we be better? You know, is does that have to be that stressful? Can we find more pleasure than stress because we're in the gym and we know we're doing something good and healthy for ourselves? That's that's the real thing. I want to get to you know by the end of this talk but then down again at the anger hostility and aggression from physical aggression being 0.89 anger 0.89 hostility 0.87 that only is this perceived stress high but it's being expressed as that much rage and that to me guys is pretty tragic If, if 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 something that that could be so good for us is, is causing us that level of anger, hostility, and aggression, I, I think I think we need a check. I think we need to uh, to decide how to get around that. Um, this particular slide may not tell us that much. Um. So, well, I, I guess it, it does a little bit. So, so some of these m- motives uh, that that also were were high, but didn't quite you know, make it up there were, you know, for enjoyment, that was actually pretty high. Um, Losing weight, avoiding feelings of guilt, I I guess I just put this slide in here to show you how many things they asked, uh, to relieve stress to improve mood, as I mentioned, you know, those were part of the, uh, the, the mood control. But but the the top, the, the ones that were really at the top, the, the, the challenge myself for enjoyment, gain muscle mass, increase self-confidence, put on muscle mass, those are all in the personal challenge category, which I love. You know, that's that's where I think it should be. You know, those are the reasons we should be doing this. Uh, then then the physique anxiety side was to lose weight, to manage current weight, to become more attractive, peer pressure, to avoid feelings of guilt. You know, that's instead of personal challenge, that's that physique anxiety, which again, I totally get that. Um, but I think we could have a more balanced expectation there, and then then that mood control that we already we already went over. So this is a these next three slides. Um, I don't I don't think I want to go through them because it could get a little confusing. But I want to show you how we not we i'm not a researcher but after two doctorates and four master's degrees i've sat through a lot of courses with researchers so even though i have never conducted formal research myself i i am in awe of those who do i i just you know sometimes i wish i had taken a career in an academic setting because their contributions to their fields of choice their their disciplines are just immense. And, and when I look at friends of mine like like Eric Helms, Jeremy Lenickey, people like that, Mike Zordos, who are doing this, you know, I not only am I jealous sometimes, but I, I really just, just have a lot of respect for the kind of work that it takes to not only create and conduct and then publish a study, but then to say, okay, here's what we learned. Now we can go on and do this study here. Here's here's how we can do it better. Or here's something that came up that makes us want to go clarify this or this kind of led to some new questions. And so I'm going to I'm going to kind of go back and forth between these. um, These three show the difference between social dependency, training dependency and mastery dependency. So they all start with those, those three basic motives. If you looked all the way to the left, mood control, physique, anxiety, personal challenge. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm flipping back and forth and, and they have this grid set up as I'm flipping back and forth. If you're watching this, what you'll see change are these straight lines, unbroken lines, and then these curved broken lines So you'll see that, uh, you know, those change from slide to slide. And what they have done is taken this survey study, which is a qualitative study, and they've encoded it in a way to try and get quantitative, measurable data. And what they're doing is showing that because of how many people answered in certain ways, and if, if you answered one question this way, but you answered another question this way and another one this way, you start creating these patterns that really do create predictive human behavior. That's how we can say, Oh, somebody who comes into this just for mood control. If, if they score really, really high by answering these questions, like I, I do it to relieve stress and I do it to feel better about myself and I do it to relieve anxiety. Then you know, those people are going to end up with a higher probability in something like you know social dependency, for example, because they're, you know, they they feel like I have to do it for these reasons. So again, I'm not going to throw a bunch of numbers at you and make you look at this, but it, it just it just shows how far statistics have come. When I was in my my first pre-med allied health degree, undergraduate, you know, we did statistics just by hand. It was, it was like taking a calculus class. Now, my last stats class was at a master's program at Harvard and you use the SSPS software and you just throw in all this data and it spits out the coolest graphs and things like this that really make interpreting research um, not just more enjoyable, but, but these kinds of graphic representations lead to much, much more concrete evidence. It really shows correlation better. But anyway, every everything that we have talked about, you can just end up plotting the results right on a graph like this, and it, and it, and it really does show you how these correlations and those alpha and beta coefficients end up playing out. So, let me get into. I'm getting a little note here that my internet connection is unstable, so I'm going to pause here for a second. But um, here, here's more of a narrative form. So, so here's more of a description of what those graphics were were saying. The highest motives, as I mentioned, were for mood control, physique, anxiety, and personal challenge, uh, increasingly in that order, personal challenge being the highest. The biggest correlation with personal challenge was was mood control, and that led to overall dependence. So just just general dependence for, for somebody to say, I'm probably, quote, addicted, it's because you went into it for those personal challenges. And those are the ones that I said are probably the best. You're doing it for all the right reasons. So this is where I think this kind of study could be interpreted in two different ways, positive and negative, and neither side is wrong. Because if I answer these questions, and this, this is where, <clears throat> whether it's quantitative or qualitative research or, or combined like this, you know, you still have to have some kind of logical interpretation, because if I've gone into this as a personal challenge, and, and let's just say, for sake of argument, that's what I did. You know, I was 11, 12 years old. I was excited. I was watching Conan the Barbarian on TV, and I'm like, oh, this looks great. I want to do this. I'm 11-year-old boy full of testosterone, and, and this just seems so fun to me. It seems like a great thing to do. And now, 40, 50 years later, you know, here I am still doing it. I've made a career out of it and so forth you could say I'm pretty addicted to it. I like that's This is my whole life. My whole identity revolves around this, but is that necessarily negative in my case? Because I don't exhibit those addictive behaviors. I don't mind taking a workout off. I absolutely would put any social event ahead of my workout and just make my workout another time or another day. So I would score on this particular questionnaire, probably very high as a personal challenge um you know motive and and would show a high degree of dependence but after 40 or so years of experience with this and managing my own career and family life i've i've kind of got it where i want it but there were definitely parts of my life that i would say the opposite when i'm in a full-blown prep mode then it does take precedence then everything else come seconds and that's the problem we get to if if you guys have heard any of our uh, nutrition coaching global mastermind sessions for the last year and a half with some of the top voices and and experts in our industry you know we often come back to this point where we describe a, a lot of top competitors will describe you know uh, there was this contest where I didn't even tell my spouse that I was, you know, getting ready for contest. I just I, I didn't want it to bother anybody. So I kept it low key. <clears throat> it wasn't until i had been dieting for two or three months that people started noticing I'm getting leaner. And, you know, and, and that was an important ethic to them was I didn't want it to disrupt my life, that is possible. But this study is showing how most people don't get to that level. So a, a, another thing that another correlation they had was social dependency uh, was most relevant to personal challenge. Again, that's 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 where somebody like me who would say I'm doing this because I love it. And I'm doing it for all the right reasons. But at the same time, the challenge is to make sure I'm not giving up other parts of my life for it. You know, is is it causing me to not continue my education? Is it causing me to not pursue relationships and so forth? Uh, I'll give you an an example like that, that social dependency, um, when in this, again, doesn't have to be a negative thing. Uh, Dr. Corey Probst, our health psychologist, when she was pursuing her PhD, which was, you know, five years of intense work on top of a full time career. Uh, she was single at the time and she just said, I'm not going to date. I don't have time. I just don't even want it. Um, I don't want to, even if I met somebody that I really like, like I just don't have time. So I'm, I'm going to put that off to the side for a while. That's social dependency. I am putting this one thing as the, the primary precedent of my life and everything else is, is getting put off. Now, again, you, know, you could say that uh, maybe you could have a little softer approach to that because what if you did find the best person in the world or, or you had this opportunity and you missed it? you know that was her choice She did it with uh, you know full volition but those are the challenges those are the things you have to really parse apart. Uh, training dependency is associated most with personal challenge, again, and mood control. So this is, you know, remember, training dependency is, is I'm willing to almost harm myself just to stay in this groove. I will not miss a workout. Um, and, and I can understand that with mood control. If you feel like you have to work out to maintain a good mindset, you're, you're controlling anxiety or depression, or you just feel so much better working out, even if it's psychological, then I can understand how that training dependency you will even harm yourself staying consistent when it's not the right thing. Uh, one of our one of our coaches, uh, who's also a personal client of mine, just this last week, this was this is one of the greatest messages I've ever gotten from a client in thirty years. She sent me a picture of this great big plate of food, and she said, "Joe, I haven't been on a date night in months. I've been working ninety hours a week, so I hope you don't mind." I'm taking the week off. And I, I said, Are you kidding me? I love that. That's I would I would love to hear that more from clients than the opposite. That when you know you've reached your capacity, you're not going to have negative training dependency or social dependency or mastery dependency. The, the, the risk of of hurting everything else in your life just for that training session or for, or for that particular day or week of quote progress. To me, that's the most mature thing somebody could do, and that's a great picture of saying, "I do depend on this in my life for these reasons, but I'm keeping them positive, and I'm not letting it cross over into addictive behavior." So the last one, the, the link between mastery and physique anxiety, um, what was was with also training dependence. So again, the, you know, kind of the same thing. I, I've been. Putting those two almost in the same box this whole time, Matt. Mastery is—I'm—I'm is, I'm trying to do this almost as a—is a personal pursuit. I'm going to be the best I can at this. And, and physique anxiety or f- physique dependency is—is—is is, is very similar. So I'm not quite as happy that they—they just—you know—didn't lump those two together. But that's—that's that's beside the point. So in conclusion, and then uh, we'll definitely have some time for some questions here. Let me—let me go ahead and read this because I think it was it was well stated. Um, While it is not possible to determine causality with the available data, you know, even with those alpha coefficients being, you know, 0.76, 0.79, and so forth, it wasn't a one, it wasn't like 100%. We did this and this happened. So so they're leaving wiggle room for the fact that, eh, you know, some interpretation is here, Sometimes we could probably interpret that correctly, maybe not every time. So while it was not possible to determine exact causality with the available data, the joint roles of variables that influence or are influenced by bodybuilding dependence are identified. So again, when they're looking at those forms of dependence, like we nailed that, we got that. Results highlight unique motivations for bodybuilding and suggest that dependence could be the result of and way of coping with stress manifesting as aggression. So you can use it to manage stress or it can add to stress, totally depends on the way you approach it. And as every study always finishes, a potential framework for future research is provided through the demonstration of plausible causal linkages among these variables. So this is just kind of a mature way of a researcher saying, you know, we definitely showed some correlation but it would be nice if other people could verify this. If if other studies kind of show the same things, the more the more studies that we get in there, you know, it would it would definitely help to just just affirm what we found. So with that, as kind of our framework, I'm going to stop the share here, so I can see all of you guys again, and uh, just see if you have any questions. So I, I was really in. in as I kept studying all of these things um, I I almost wanted to throw this one out because it was so complicated. But then, as I said, it's not necessarily the data and the conclusions they came up with, but the questions they asked and the topics they were exploring, I think are so, so profound. So uh, I'll, I'll end with what I started with, which is, I don't necessarily think it's to our greatest benefit to, Debate and and pick apart the entire research study for its flaws or strengths, but to say, okay, here's the topic. Let's talk about it. Let's see if we can improve ourselves. So, Sydney, go ahead, please, with a with a comment or question.
1: Oh, oh there you go. Um, I just want to say I find this extremely interesting, and i would I would have liked women to have been included in this study because. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that all women are going to fall into the category of I want to just look skinny. Yeah. Cause I'm definitely not one of those. I'm in a prep right now, but I like to do it for personal challenge and for mood control because I do suffer from shin and going to the gym helps me just feel so much better with myself. Well, not just myself, but just in general. Um, so let, I, let, let, I, let me stop can, you there real
0: quick, Sydney, because I, I just want to say I totally agree. Like when I, when I saw that they had 101 men and no women, I thought, why? Like, wh- why, why in the world would you do that? But, you know, I, I, I think yeah. because of some of their presuppositions being like just aggression and hostility and so forth, for some reason, mm-hmm. they just wanted to do a study on male bodybuilders, which is a stereotype yeah. in and of itself. And I think and yeah. they probably thought that adding women to your point, there would be so many different things like different motives mm-hmm. and, and so forth that they just wouldn't have an actual study. Like it wouldn't, wouldn't be able to come yeah. up inclusive data.
1: Yeah. Well, like it would be like two complete
0: opposites. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like if I miss a workout, I don't necessarily get angry or like, I don't outwardly get angry at times. Like if I have to skip for something that's come up that's really inconvenient, I might inwardly fume, which is where I guess me think that women don't get angry. It's like I inwardly fume, but I'm like, okay, but whatever, I have to do this other thing. Um, but I was also thinking, i was really interested to see if they would redo this and see how lockdowns and gym closures during COVID has exacerbated some of the things. Um, especially since where I live in Ontario, the lockdown's uh, only just finished. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Um, and we've been in lockdown and have not had access to a gym in 17 months. And wow. as because as, I was in Korea for, for most of it. But, you know, as far as I know, they only had like maybe three weeks every five months. Where they were they had access to a gym. So then how did all these people cope yes. without access to a gym? Did they find other mechanisms? Did they all, you know, did they all buy home equipment and then, you know, just kind of brought it all into their home? But I know a lot of people through talking to others where they said I don't like to work out at home because I don't feel like it. They want to remove themselves from their home environment to work out. So I would just be really interested in like a follow-up to see, you know, how, how COVID has really affected people who, you know, might suffer from an addiction to bodybuilding.
0: You know, on a larger point to your question or, or your statement, it's, any little thing that exacerbates a, you know, like, like your level of homeostasis, psychological homeostasis, here's, here's my level of training, here's what I'm doing, here's my norm, whatever level of anxiety or dependence you have, something like that is definitely going to tip the scale. Uh, and, and, and we did see that. Um, I, I would have gone from somebody who's totally laissez-faire, I'm cool, I've got no addictive behaviors to murdering somebody like if, if i <laughs> train in my gym for 16 months i would have matter of fact i only lasted one day when our governor shut down our state it, it was like a world war ii bombing i we were going through our office like getting stuff shoving it in boxes like oh my gosh we got to get home it's like you know like all like b-52s are going to be carpet bombing the state like we have to hurry home and I literally got like a curl bar and a, and, a, and a 45 pound plates and 10. Cause I'm thinking I may, I may not be here for a year. I'm taking all this stuff home. I lasted one day, Sydney, one day. I tried to work out at home with that modified little bit of equipment. And then I thought, wait a second, I own my own gym. I can drive. Like if, like if the police pull me over, I'm not infecting somebody. And so I was done. Like I, I started coming back to my own gym to work out.
1: Oh, lucky you. I've been in prep and for eight weeks I have been training at home and only just reopened today and I finally have eight weeks left. So I'm hoping for some really good deload games out of this.
0: Yeah, I really feel bad. I mean, there were a lot of people who did create great home gyms. I I saw clients building squat racks out of wood. Um obviously oh, wow. created such a shortage of training equipment. Like every training manufacturer, every equipment manufacturer were on you know six month back orders. So it was it was bizarre. So there you go. If you ever have to create like a, a bomb shelter stockpiling food, like don't forget your weightlifting equipment. You know, <laughs> beans and rice and water. You need you need a squat rack.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, and that's that's all the comments I had on this.
0: Good stuff. So I thank I you. That. Appreciate it. Any, any other comments or questions and anybody kind of feel this like, Oh my gosh, maybe I'm taking this a little too seriously. Maybe I need to chill out a little bit and put it in perspective. Kevin.
2: Yeah. Um, you ex- experienced this with me when I was in my doctorates and I told you I was going to put training aside for that time being because of, uh, of the personal challenge that I was going through at that moment. As you know, Exercise doesn't really give me the jellies, unlike nutrition does. So I knew that variable had to be in check and it was, but for exercise in the morning is, which is when I do it, I had to utilize that time to write instead. And that was a season of life I had to choose. It wasn't, it was an easy decision to some degree, but that was a decision I had to make nonetheless in order to not uh, stretch myself too thin. And it's become an ongoing theme with, with clients to understand those, those limits for themselves because adding in more stress or just grinding through grit while noble often is not the best decision. So to be that transparent and to understand that's a hard decision to have to make at times, it's often the best. And that needs to be discussed, not right or wrong, but it just needs to be discussed and honestly evaluated much like I had to. And that is a,
0: I'm so glad you said that, Kevin, because that does show both sides of the coin because for Kevin, you know, working really hard, I'm, this is an academic goal. I, I, I have these, these, these goals for my family. I have to get this done. If something has to leave my schedule for a while, he didn't have an addictive enough behavior to say, I must put this first and, be damned with something else in my life. But here is the opposite of that. Some people would say, well, that's actually self-care. If I'm not training once in a while, if I'm not at least getting a 30 minute run in every other day or something, I'm going to psychologically wither away and, and that's gonna make me more aggressive and hostile and so forth. And so some people, and I'm kind of that way. I mean, that's, that's why my, you know, I'm, I'm the personal challenge motivated kind of person. And every once in a while, I get into that kind of state, Kevin, where it's like, I just don't have time. I had too much work to do, client responsibilities. And so I miss a workout. And then as Sydney said, I'm fuming, I'm angry. And uh, now I'm hostile. (laughs) And, And so for me to make it a discipline to say, look, when it's time for me to train, I've got it blocked on my schedule, like every other appointment of the day, I have to go do this for me. So that I can be my best self for everybody else. And, and, and some of that translates even into long-term self-care. If I, wanna, if, if I don't want to die of a heart attack when I'm 50 or something. So again, both sides of the coin. There's nothing wrong. It's just you being in control and making that decision in the best way possible, as you said, Kevin. Well done. Go ahead, Jesse.
3: Don, thanks for having me. Great presentation. I missed some of it, but it was awesome. Nonetheless, um, I did want to touch base on the um, the personal challenge side and how that's just helped me to overcome a lot of my life and, and to actually make this a part of an enjoyable part of my life and my daily routine and how I, I wanted. I also wanted to touch, too, on how focusing on some outward uh, appearance or an outward goal or having, you know, extrinsic goals. Uh, at the forefront of that, that, that challenge that you set for yourself, like, it's easy to say, you know, I want abs. So, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work. And then when things get hard to pull back a little bit, you know, which is kind of like, I, I, this past weekend, I just had a situation very similar. So I was, I I, I started focusing on, instead of me being my best version of me, it was pro card, pro card, I got to win that pro card. And then, It came to a point where I was in the fork in the road and I'm like, oh, I could just eat a few more graham crackers, you know, and I I, I touched base with my coach and I talked to him, you know, like I I felt like I lost control of it. I I kind of flew off the handle with my refeed day and, and stuff like that. And we touched base and we talked about how at the beginning of the prep and up until the point of where I'm at in prep right now, I have been focusing on you know, personally challenging myself and becoming the best that I can be. So that has helped me through this, through the majority of this prep, you know, and even refocusing this past week, you know, everything's back to right where it was. We're good. We're in a good place. But just seeing how powerful that personal challenge can be when it comes to doing anything, you know, because the biggest person I and I said this when I started changing my life, you know, 11 years ago was I could lie to everybody around me. But the one person I can't lie to is the person that I look at in the mirror every morning. So if I say and and just like in the bodybuilding community, if you stay true to the goals that you have set for yourself with yourself before you announce to anybody or before you try to accomplish any type of extrinsic uh, goal that you make a commitment to yourself first. And I, I think that's the most powerful thing. Well, Well, from what I caught of the presentation. I thought that was super powerful. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And anybody, I hope this can help somebody that's listening.
0: Appreciate it, Jesse. You know, one of my, one of my favorite modern philosophers is Albert Camus. And, and that was his, like, like when, when a philosopher spends his whole life kind of looking through all of the way that, that mankind thinks, they usually kind of come out with one defining thought. And his was that the greatest aim of man can be exactly what you said that you can be so content with yourself that in every relationship you have, in everything that you do, every behavior you have, you have ethical peace with that, that you're doing the right thing. And and you're right, you know, that's that's why, you know, not lying or, or not stealing, not doing this, like even something you can get away with, like that's, you're, you're still creating this inner turmoil in your subconscious because you know you're not being the best you can be. So I think Jesse, that internal motivation you talked about, intrinsic—that's that's the that's the center of the bullseye. I mean, that's what we should all be aiming for. Um, and I'll, I'll probably stop with this because we're getting close to the top of the hour here. But um, uh, Carissa made a great point saying that you know, she finds that the social impacts are most concerning because she is somebody who just won't go out to eat or something because it's just too difficult. Like I'm in prep. I don't want the temptation. And, and I will say that that's, that, that does, yeah, just give me this kind of punch in the gut feeling that you, I think you should always be able to do that. And, and I know some people will strategically engage in it differently. Uh, I know people who will slam a protein shake in the parking lot and then go into the restaurant and drink water while their friends and family are, are having dinner. Other people will say, man, of course I can eat dinner. I mean, uh, they've got, they got lettuce, they got grilled chicken breast, you know, even if, even if I have to tell them to rinse it off and I don't want any oil or just, you know, be that person. Um, you know, so anybody who's disengaging in social things like that, that you would actually enjoy then yeah there that's the maladaptive behavior that that I would work toward changing